Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and, of course, around the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free with our compliments at techcentral.ie. Now, this week, we are taking you to the RDS in Dublin where kids continue to impress the pants office every single year with their science projects, ideas and how they look at the world. So sit back and prepare to raise your eyebrows, I kid you not, as Niall Kitson meets this year's Young Scientists. I think everybody likes saving money on their heating and I think everybody likes the word sustainability and here's a young lady that is uh, helping us do both. So, Hi, my name's Ava Kibazang. I'm from St. Aloysius College in Cork. And you basically built a better roof. I did. I think um, in today's society when you ask people, why do we use slate in our roofs? They just go, uh, I don't know. Um, we always have? Well, when I did research into this, I actually learned, um, we started using slate in the 19th century and the reason we used it was because it was the uh, most heat um, repellent material we had at the time that's fine but it's 2019 we have so many other materials we have such intelligent people like we could do so much better like the man who discovered solar energy was aged 19 when he discovered it and then if you look around the BT today there's children younger than that doing even better so this is kind of why do we build the roofs the way we do so I said, sat down, I was like, okay, how are we going to do this? Why you, let's get rid of slate. It's dangerous, it's not right. For example, um, during Storm Ophelia this year, 350,000 houses had slate fall off their roof. 12 people were injured to it, and one person actually lost their life. So, let's get rid of slate is my opinion on it. And the solution that you have is actually quite ingenious because you're actually using layers. Exactly. So what I've done is I've actually taken two sheets of galvanized steel. I sprayed them with a heat-resistant black paint and I have them suspended uh, 10 millimeters apart. Um, This is all insulated and has a glass over it and it's all encapsulated. It's airtight. There's no air escaping. There's an entry and exit manifold to it and the entry manifold has a 12-volt fan. It's a little fan we see at the back of our computers. That's a test strip. So what happens, there's a thermostat installed inside our home and one inside our, this roof. When the house needs heat and the thermostat registers this and the uh, roof is hot, the thermostat, two switches close turning on the 12-volt fan. This then takes the air, cold air out of the house. It goes up into the roof. This air then goes through those two sheets of metal, heating to approximately 30 degrees and pumping back out into the house. Um, and this cycle repeats over and over again until the house is sufficiently heated. Then when the house is sufficiently heated and the roof is cold, both switches open, turning off the fan, preventing a cooling effect from happening in the house. And this can actually change to what you set your thermostat on. Some people think 18 degrees is a perfectly comfortable temperature. Some think 21. So whatever you set it at is what temperature it will turn on at. 
and you've also got some commercial interest I gather yes um, I had an investor come up to me last year offered me 25,000 euros for my project I have a patent pending on the project and I have applied for Horizon 2020 funding which is a 50,000 euro grant given to um, companies that uh, to help them develop and bring up their project more I was also sponsored by uh, Passive Sills down in um, Yall in County Cork they supported me in my project they helped me with research they helped me build my prototype um, they were just very good company in general and uh, looking forward into the future then of course when you're trying to get a product like this out to market and because it's a sustainable product people are immediately going to think that it'll be incredibly expensive it'll be more expensive than a, a route that they know not necessarily the case. Oh no! Um, when I did research into the pricing of this product, um, I learned this: uh, the standard roof when you're building it, just the slate alone costs you seven thousand euros. Well, my roof in t- its totality will actually cost uh, five thousand euros. So you've already saved two thousand euros just when compared to buying slate. Not in mind when you put the whole cost in; you've saved less, more than fifty percent off your roof. And then if you take into costing as well, most people, I conducted a survey while doing this because I wanted to find out more about the general public. I wanted to find out like um, how, what their knowledge is on renewable energy, um, how, how they heat their homes, what they use to heat their homes. And I found that most people use fossil fuels in their homes. 35% of the people, of the 720 people I surveyed use fossil fuels. That most people didn't have a good knowledge. I asked the question, uh, rate your knowledge on renewable energy, one being none and five being very well. And 35% of people surveyed put their results as one. That's bad. <laughs> and so I conducted to do this experiment. And when I did it, I surveyed people and I found out the average cost of uh, the running of your heating is 1,200 euros annually. Well, with my project, it is actually, um, if you connect it to a ventilation system, which is actually required in the new uh, NZEB uh, building regulations, is uh, if you connect it to the new ventilation system, it's a zero running cost. If you connect it to a small uh, photovoltaic panel, again, zero cost. And if you have to install it into your um, standard ESP, it will cost you less than 10 euros annually. Hello, my name is Nicole Sophie Marinos, and I am from Christ King Girls Secondary School in Cork. And you've got a really interesting project here in that it's a problem that I think radiographers and people in healthcare are very used to, but the rest of us wouldn't really be aware happens. So tell me a little bit about it. So I have designed a solution that will help guide patients through an MRI scan, making the scan easier for patients to complete, resulting in clearer images, less time the patient has to spend inside the scanner, and considerable cost savings for hospitals. And where did the idea for the project come from? I spent a two-day work experience in an MRI unit, and I observed that radiographers kept telling the patient to please remain still. Can you please remain still and on? I am currently hard of hearing myself, and I wouldn't be able to wear my hearing aids inside the scanner, so I wondered whether there are any communication procedures in place. Currently, there aren't any fixed procedures in place. Usually, they would tie tubing around a patient's wrist, yank it when the patient has to remain still or breathe in. I went home and I started researching any communication procedures and I found through 141 published studies dated from 1989 to just last year, for almost 30 years there has been a problem of patient movement, that 45% of patients are moving inside the scanner. And what kind of response have you found? 
Well, I found that radiographers want me immediately to produce my goggle to give them. They think it is fantastic to be able to tell the patient the exact precise moment they need to remain still or hold their breath. Now, I always thought it's a little bit of an urban myth that, uh, you know, your mobile phone is particularly bad for you or that it emits all kinds of radiation and is giving you burns in your sleep and all that sort of thing. But here's a project that looks to put those tests to, uh, to rest once and for all. So let's have a look at uh, the project and who's involved with it. So uh, the team involved is... Um, I'm Ava Flynn and I'm in second year. Brona Kelly. Second year. And um, I'm Chloe Flaherty and I'm in second year. And uh, your school is... Colosse de Ballyclare in Clare Galway. So, uh, I remember in the 1990s people had very large mobile phones and it was often a, a, a myth that people would sort of end up dying before their time having an autopsy and there being a massive burn mark over their heart or something like that. So what was the uh, genesis of your project? So we decided to test radiation off phones because in the modern day there's like so much talk about how safe our phones are, how long we should spend on our phones. So we put to the test how much radiation comes off our phones. So we measured um, radio frequencies that come off phones and they are part of the electromagnetic spectrum. And the electromagnetic spectrum is split up into two parts. There is non-ionizing radiation and ionizing radiation. So non-ionizing radiation is not dangerous and that's where the radiation from phones is. So we also found out that um, if your phone has one bar of service, it is transmitting at a higher power, which is more dangerous than having four bars of service because a lot of people think the closer you are to the mobile antennas, it's more dangerous. But in fact, it's actually a good thing because your phone is transmitting at a lower power. And what sort of phones were you looking at? Were you going straight to uh, uh, smartphones or were you looking at things that were slightly older as well? Um, for this project, we sent out a survey to our school to see the most common phone. And the phone that came back was iPhone 6. So we decided to use that for all our tests to have a fair test. And the results that you got back, were you surprised by anything that you got? Um, for the results, as Ava said, the four-bar reception is very low. And when, the, when there is one bar reception, the results are very high. So we recommend when you have one bar reception and you're on a call to use a headset or use hands-free. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. My name is Pierre Shine and I'm from FCJ Bunclody. And your project is called Madra Alert, and it solves a problem that you hear of quite a bit in the news, and one that's particularly tragic. So tell me a little bit about the problem that you're looking to address. The problem that I've seen is when uh, people, farmers agitate their slurry pits, and there's dogs that could end up uh, around the area and inhale the gas, which ends up making them collapse. And then the farmer has the decision to either go in and save them, which could lead to them collapsing as well. It's a very human problem, and there, there have been some tragic examples in the media over the years. So how did you approach the problem, and what sort of technology did you work on? So I uh, went about it by making a sensor that could sense the methane that is released from the slurry pit. And it sets off a high-frequency buzzer, which deters dogs, because they have such better hearing than us. 
and sends a text to all surrounding area that you're agitating so they will all stay away from the area. Okay, two subjects that I guess are close to everybody's heart are property market uh, and also further down the road what they're going to do about their pensions. Uh, and here's a project that I think addresses both. So uh, tell me a little bit about HouseQuest. Uh, hi, my name is Brian. I'm from Belvedere College and my project is called HouseQuest. It's a property investment website that uses analytics to find the best property for the investor. Uh, it also allows socially responsible investing, which means that you can invest money with a social objective. And the social objective here is the housing crisis and the pension crisis. So the housing crisis is due to a lack of affordable and available rental accommodation. So what my project does is it converts sale properties to rental accommodation, taking both the availability and the price aspect of the housing crisis. It also tackles the pension crisis, because right now people aren't taking out pensions at the same rate as they used to that uh, only 4 in 10 people even have a private pension, which leaves a lot of pressure on the government. And right now the government's deficit is $3.5 billion, which means that we need to take action now in order to avert it like 20 years down the road. It's also due to the fact that Ireland has an aging population, that we don't have the workforce coming behind the retirees to fund their pensions. So what my project does, it is offers real estate as a viable pension option as an alternative to a private pension. And it does that uh, by doing analytics on things like what is the return on investment on the property, what is the cash and cash return, what is the uh, years before you break even on your down payment. And then what, does it, what it does is it does machine learning on that information to find the property with the best value. And this displays it all on the website called housequest.ie. And if you go to housequest.ie, you can view uh, properties ranked by the return on investment. And what that does is simplifies the process of finding the house that has the best value for the investor, that it incentivizes landlords to get into the Irish property market, and the knock-on effect is the housing crisis and the pension crisis. Here's another problem that parents are uh, well used to dealing with at this stage, or at least there should be, and that's the security of internet-connected toys. So one team that has uh, identified this problem and are looking to see if there's any truth to it is Athlone Community College uh, in Westmeath who have the team of Andrea White and Evie Fallon So Andrea tell us a little bit about the problem and, and why you chose to have a look at it so we first came up with the idea when Amy's sister uh, got a toy for Christmas, which is called a Digigo, and as soon as she opened it up, it was hacked. No one was allowed to connect, and it was the same like across the country. None of these types of toys were allowed to be like used because it, a hack had occurred. So we decided we'd research it further, and we came across a Kayla doll, which is another toy that had, that's connected to the internet and which was also hacked. So there was cameras and uh, speakers built into the toy so we could see that the um, hackers could actually hack in and watch the children through the camera and listen to uh, what they were saying and gain private information from these stuff. And without getting too technical as to what you did, because we don't want to pass along that kind of information to too many people, uh, what testing did you employ? So we decided we'd set up a test scenario of how my family interacted with an internet-connected toy. And by monitoring this behaviour, we were able to see what's normal specifically to this toy. So it's like we're taking test scenarios where we realise that everyone is going to be interacting with toys differently, all families. So we needed to come up with a solution where each algorithm will be learned uniquely to a specific toy. And so we use machine learning to go about that. 
And uh, what was your uh, end finding? Should be should we be worried about connected toys in general or was this just two unfortunate examples? Uh, well, we think it's actually a very serious issue because there's no security um, regulations put on these internet-connected toys. And because so many things are becoming connected to the internet, we feel we could use the algorithm for toys, but it could be used for a variety of things in the future so that you can monitor and make sure that everything is okay. My name is Gavin Guthrie. I'm from uh, St. Fannin's College in Clare. And I guess one of the questions people often ask when they sit down or they decide they want to learn to code is, what language should I adopt? And that, that sort of comparative study is what you've been doing. Yeah, what I've been doing is I've been, I made a neural network in the top 10 programming languages and I compared them against each other. Uh, I recorded how much power they use, how much uh, time it takes to train them, how much time it takes to recognize different uh, digits and stuff like that was uh, when you sat down to do the project, were you already proficient in some elements of code or was it something you wanted to try from scratch? No, I was already proficient in code, yeah. I, I, um, the only one I didn't know was R. That was kind of what I learned along the way. And so if somebody asked you, uh, I'm looking to code, what would you recommend? What would you tell them? Uh, I'd probably start off in something like JavaScript because it's so popular these days for web development. And then maybe if you're looking to go some more uh, on the machine side, C-sharp, Java, along those lines. My name is Robbie O'Mahony. And my name is Sonia McCarthy. And you're from uh, Middleton College in Cork. And your project was looking at SIDS, which is Sudden Infant Death Disorder. So tell me a little bit about the genesis of the project. Um, so basically, we, what we're setting out to achieve is, is to build a monitor which can detect potential signs of SIDS. Uh, we believe that it is an issue which, like with, with more research, could potentially be, be solved. We hope to, to, to research it further and, and develop our, our monitor further. So far, it's, it's measuring temperature and the movement of the child, and uh, it's pretty basic, but it's, it's, it's getting there. So tell me a little bit more about uh, what you've ended up developing. I can see on your laptop there that you've got, uh, you've got a nice dashboard for tracking progress. So how does it work exactly? So there's X, Y, and Z coordinates. And when the baby moves onto the front, and it would send an alert to the parents through the phone, and it's recorded every two seconds. So there's an element of real-time tracking there. Yes. And how have you found the reception to the project uh, to have been so far? So far, people have been enthusiastic about it. Hello, I'm Michael Hayes from Colossae Ignage Galway. And... Uh, your um, project is something that everybody, I think, has experienced once in their life, and a debate everybody has had at one stage in their lives. So tell me a little bit about it. Uh, so my project's aim is to, instead of using a plaster that is in direct contact with the wound, it's actually a dome, so it doesn't actually touch the wound. It, it's, and if you get an impact on your wound, it doesn't go directly onto it, it displaces the load or to, around, to the surrounding skin. So in the days of where you decided, okay, I'm going to put it great big plaster on this cut and somebody might say do you know what you should let the air at it um, what have you found I found is that this is why I've put some vents in my design so that the air can get at it so exudate is one of the biggest problems it's, it's part of the healing process but too much of it can lead to infection because it's primarily made of um, white, dead white blood cells so bacteria love uh, feeding on it so a lot of them can lead to infection that's why I've put some vents in my design so it can actually evaporate the exudate. 
And uh, the idea from the project, uh, it came from a, a tale of woe on your part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually this summer. I have got 11 stitches on my hand because uh, just going under the beach is a bit of glass and sand. So this, they put about two inches of padding around my finger, but still every time I hit it off something, it would still cause a huge amount of pain to my finger. My name is Connor Croke and I'm from St. Mary's College in Galway. And your project is about a, a question I've often wondered. When you're looking at different brands of battery, which ones actually do what they say in the tin, if you will, and which ones don't? Well, my experiment was used to both compare the efficiency and the price. And while Duracell is usually advertised as one of the most efficient brands, and while it does, from my experiment, it does hold that to be true, I have discovered that there are other alternatives that you can take that are cheaper. For example, the Panasonic batteries are about half the price of the Duracell, but rather than being only half as efficient, there are only about a seven-hour difference within the time. So that would be almost 80% as efficient as a Duracell battery for my results. And uh, in terms of testing, uh, in front of me I'm looking at a clock, so is this the apparatus you used? Yes, this is a circuit that I've used, which its main purpose was to drain the batteries as quickly as possible. As you can see, I use these two motors here, which are used to drain, which are mainly used to drain the energies from the battery that is in the clock. And the clock's main purpose is it also helps to drain the energy quicker, but its main purpose is to record how many hours and minutes it took to drain the energy to give me more exact, more exact measurements of time. So there you go from our coverage direct from the Young Scientist exhibition. Duracell batteries are the longest lasting, but Panasonic not far behind. I've got to remember that in my next shop, as I'm sure you might as well. That is it for our show this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. Or, of course, catch us every week online or Fridays at 5 p.m. on DAB Digital Radio with RTA Radio 1 Extra. On the next time, for myself, Dustin. Roads after Nile Kitson at the Young Scientist Exhibition. Thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.